Amen. Amen. It's a good thing to know that our God has given us all of him. He, 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 he hasn't withhold a thing, withheld a thing from us. Romans chapter 8 says that if, if he gave his only son, how much more will he not give us all things? Uh, so it's, it's good to know that we serve a God who loves you so much that he won't withhold any blessing from you, uh, but lavishes his love upon us in Christ. Amen? Amen. Uh, it's a pleasure and a joy again to be with you and worship with the people of God this morning. Uh, before I jump in, I want to give a, a shout out to my wife. Uh, it is her birthday today. Amen. Amen. Celebrating 25 again. Amen, somebody. Amen. She is my, my good rib. It's a good thing I like ribs. Amen. Somebody. Um, but if, if you can, just keep her lifted. She hasn't been feeling too well these last few days because we are preparing to add another Dunlap baby to the fold. Amen. So we, we are excited. Be praying for us if you, if you think about it. Uh, my son wants to name the baby Kurt Kurt, whether it's a boy or a girl, doesn't... <laughs> doesn't matter, but uh, we're excited. Why don't you stand with me and open your Bibles to John chapter 10. We're going to get in this word, and then I'm going to get out your way. Amen. John chapter 10, verse 22. We're going to be reading down to verse 39. Uh, if you're there, say amen. amen. If you're not, look at the screen. Amen. <laughs> Let me get it started, and then you guys jump on in with me. The word of the Lord reads, verse 22, Then the festival of dedication took place in Jerusalem, and it was winter. Jesus was walking in the temple in Solomon's colonnade. Keep reading.
Amen. The title of our message this afternoon uh, is The Proof is in the Pudding. The Proof is in the Pudding. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful and grateful that we get to open your word openly, uh, that we don't have to hide or, or be fearful of reading and speaking the things of God out in public, which many cannot say in their lives. And so, Father, we, we boldly proclaim the truth of your word, not just this day, but every day of our lives. And so, God, we are, we, every time we come to your word, we expect to hear from you. We expect to hear a word of challenge or rebuke or exhortation, encouragement, joy or comfort, or no matter what it is, God, because all of your word is profitable for us. And so we're thankful, God, that we have access, that you have given us access. You've given us eyes to see and ears to hear the wonderful things of your word. And so we just pray, God, that, 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 that we may have, though we may have come in here one way, we might leave out changed, God, for your glory and by your grace, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. The proof is in the pudding. You know, that, that, that phrase is interesting. It's a colloquial expression that comes from the phrase, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. And it means that a person can only know whether or not something is good or bad by trying or experiencing it. Essentially, it is an invitation to verify. And throughout Jesus's earthly ministry, he makes a habit of engaging people in such a way to draw them in closer to himself so that they can see his works and hear his words and verify if what they're experiencing from him actually confirms that he is, in fact, God, the Christ, the Messiah. And so here we find ourselves in, in chapter 10 in, a, in an interesting passage, one that is not necessarily unfamiliar to his engagement with the Jews at the time, uh, where he is inviting them in to verify if whether or not what he's saying and doing in his earthly ministry points to the fact that he's God, the Messiah. But before we get to verse 22, earlier in the chapter, Jesus gives one of his final sermons before uh, he ends his public ministry, and he begins talking about the fact that he is a good shepherd. And he gives some, some descriptions of what a good shepherd is like and, and what the relationship is between a shepherd and, and his sheep. Uh, and, and what we're going to get into today is Jesus in this passage gives us three very distinct descriptions of what his sheep are like. Not just any sheep, but what his sheep are like. So I only got three points this morning that I'm going to get on out your way. The first is this, that true disciples know his voice. True disciples know his voice. It says, then the festival of dedication took place in Jerusalem, and it was winter. Now, this feast of dedication wasn't an assigned feast based on the law. It was a tradition that had been established to celebrate uh, the, the consecration of the temple after the Greeks had come in and, and basically begun to worship pagan gods in the temple. And then a man named Judas uh, came through and led a revolt, and they conquered the Greeks and, and reestablished control over the temple. And so they threw a huge party that lasted eight days. It's, it's what we call today Hanukkah. 
and so they were celebrating Hanukkah at this time. And then the Bible describes the time of the year as winter, obviously, because we celebrate Hanukkah over the winter season. Now, you can't jump high it being winter necessarily too quickly because oftentimes a literary tool of an author is to describe the, the type of weather or the type of description of the elements in order to let you know maybe what the mood may be like in the rest of the passage. And so it's interesting that, that he just adds that it's winter in there maybe as an indication that what's about to happen is maybe not a good thing. And so we, we go on, we know it's Hanukkah, they're celebrating, it says Jesus is walking in the temple uh, of Solomon's colonnade, which is inside of the temple a little bit, where they could keep warm. The teachers were still teaching at that time, but to keep themselves from the cold of the outside, they would walk through and teach in Solomon's colonnade. It says Jesus was there, in verse 24, the Jews surrounded him and asked him, how long are you going to keep us in suspense if you are the Messiah, tell us Plainly. Now, it's interesting that word surrounded means to circle in on. Luke uses it in chapter 24 of his book, and he's the only other author in the New Testament that uses it in this way. And, and, and in that section in Luke 21, it describes what it would be like when Rome surrounds Jerusalem before it destroys it. And so, so the Jews circle in on Jesus with, with negative motives in mind. They're not coming to Jesus wanting him to teach like he has made a habit of doing in the temples, but they, they have a beef with Jesus. They, they, they are coming to take Jesus down. And so it says that they have circled in on him, and then they ask him a question. They say, how long are you going to keep us in suspense, or basically, how long are you going to annoy us? That's literally what they asked. How long are you going to annoy us? Maybe you know somebody in your life that comes around and, and says, I have a secret, do you wanna know what it is? And then they never tell you. But they constantly remind you about the secret that they know that you don't know. Isn't that person annoying? If you don't know anybody like that, it might be you. You may be that person. But, but no, nonetheless, we, we come here and, and they, they have a beef with Jesus. They, they are saying, Jesus, if you're the Messiah, why are you hiding it? Why don't you just come right out and say it? Why, why do you keep us in suspense? Nobody wants to wait to the end of the movie to see how this goes if you already know the answer. That, that's why, I'm sorry wife, I don't mean to put you on blast, but I don't like watching movies with my wife. <laughs> because she doesn't like the suspense. She can't handle it. So she'll literally look up online the ending <laughs> while we're watching the movie. I don't know who does that. But, but, but none, nonetheless, they, they, they are upset with Jesus. Like, like why, why do you just not come out? Like, if you were really the Messiah, you would come out and say it. Like, the, the Messiah had a kind of, there was, there was a political nature attached to that name. You know, the Jews were expecting this Messiah, this Christ, to arrive and to come riding in on a white horse valiantly with an army behind him to defeat Rome, establish an earthly kingdom, and sit on the throne. And the Jews were waiting for this in expectation. And so all, all along, they're saying, if you're the Messiah, why don't you just take the throne? There were a couple of times where they wanted to put Jesus on the throne themselves because they so believed he was the Messiah. And Jesus is like, man, listen, y'all are so concerned about this earthly ki kingdom that you're missing out what I'm doing on an eternal perspective. 
And so they say, they say, man, if you're, if you're the Messiah, just go ahead and tell us. Stop playing games. And then Jesus says, man, I told y'all already. I told y'all, y'all just don't believe me. But, but so there has to be some mix up here, right? I don't know if y'all know how conflict works, right? But typically in conflict, there's one person over here, there's another person over here, and in the middle is the truth of what happened. And you might ask the person on the left, what happened? And they give their account of the story. The person on the right, what happened? They give their account. And nothing about the truth in the middle comes up because they got two different stories about what happened. And here, there's something going on as it comes to and relates to who the Messiah is and whether or not Jesus is the Messiah, where the Jews are saying, you haven't done anything to tell us whether or not you're the Messiah, and we're getting tired of you walking around, doing all these things, leading us on, only to let us down. And Jesus is like, man, I don't know what y'all talking about. I've been telling y'all. Since I stepped foot on earth and started my earthly ministry, I've been telling y'all what it is. It's interesting because in John chapter 4, Jesus is meeting with the Samaritan woman, and at the end of the conversation, he reveals to her that he is the awaited Messiah. Then in chapter 5, he's at the pool of Bethesda, and he heals a man who hasn't walked in over 30 years. And then the man begins to walk, and the Jews are upset not because he's walking, but because he got healed on the Sabbath and picked up his mat to go home. Then, then, then in chapter 6, Jesus does some more miracles and begins to, to, to feed the 4,000. And, and he says, he has this little discourse where he's talking about, I am the bread of life. If any man comes to me, he will never hunger or thirst again. Then in, in chapter 7, he, he begins to talk some more about things. Then we go in 8, and he says, he says, before Abraham was, I am. I don't know how you get much clearer than that. But it's, it's interesting throughout, if you look at each of these chapters in the Bible leading up to chapter 10, there is either an act of Jesus performing a miracle or him teaching and saying something in his discourse that identifies him as the Son of God. And they completely miss it. And, and it shouldn't have happened because the way that Jesus taught in these foreshadowing ways and the way he used illustrations was not uncommon to his audience. So it shouldn't have been anything for them to pick up on what he was saying. Matter of fact, it's interesting that throughout this time, two things normally happen when Jesus talked or when Jesus did a miracle. Either the crowd themselves started arguing amongst each other with some saying, man, he must be the Messiah. No, he's not the Messiah. Man, he's got to be. Only Jesus can be the Messiah and do that stuff. Only, I mean, only God can do that stuff. So they would argue amongst themselves about whether or not he was really the Messiah. Then the second thing that would happen regularly is they would try to kill him. Now, now, you wouldn't just try to kill nobody for, for no reason. Like, it, it, it wouldn't make sense unless Jesus said or did something that in their minds constituted him being worthy of death. And so now we get here and, and they're saying, man, you didn't tell us. Tell us plainly. And Jesus is like, well, if I didn't tell y'all, why y'all trying to kill me? Why are all these people arguing? Why lame men walking? Why blind men seeing? Why did water get turned into wine? How did I feed 4,000 with just a couple scraps? 
And Jesus is, he's looking at him like, man, something's gotta be wrong with your sight or with your ears. If you can see and hear all that I've done and still believe that I'm not the Messiah. I have told you, you just don't believe. He says, the works that I do in my Father's name testify about me. Everything that I've done should point to the fact that I'm the Messiah, that I am the one who is to come. But then Jesus goes a little further, because remember, you know, it's interesting, when you're arguing with somebody and you regularly point them to facts, and they still disbelieve, it should be an indication that you're not dealing with a head issue, but a heart issue. I don't know if y'all been on Facebook recently with all, you know, all that political stuff that's going on and all the race stuff and you've been arguing with people on Facebook and somebody been bringing up some nonsensical argument and then you post an article <laughs> with all these facts in it, all this history, all this research, and then they stop talking to you, but later on in the thread, you see them arguing the same point with other people. <laughs> and yet, for some reason, you keep going back and forth with them presenting facts as if your facts are going to change their mind. Sometimes we got to realize that it's, it's no longer an information issue. It's a heart issue. So, so Jesus begins to comb underneath the surface here, and then he says something very striking to them in verse 26. He says, but you don't believe me because you aren't my sheep. See, it's not just that you don't believe the information. He says, you don't believe me because you don't belong to me. There's there's a spiritual disconnect between us that's at the root of your unbelief. And so it's it's not that you don't believe the miracles. It's not that you don't believe the words. It's that you don't belong to me. Remember, if you go back up, he says... He says, my sheep know my voice, which, which means that the shepherd has spent so much time with his sheep, talking to his sheep, giving commands to his sheep, leading them gently, that, that, that the sheep, they, they know what the, the voice of their shepherd sounds like. So when somebody tells them to go right, and it's not their shepherd, they know to stay put. When their shepherd tells them to stop and somebody else tells them to keep going, they know to stop because they heard the voice of their shepherd. See, see, as believers, we get caught up so much in listening to voices that aren't our shepherd. We, we end up doing a whole lot of things that cause us damage and danger because we haven't heard the voice of our shepherd. And so Jesus here is saying, man, the reason that you don't know me it's because you don't belong to me, and you don't know my voice. Then he says, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Verse 28, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. That, that's, that's beautiful, because Jesus, he's, he's letting us know that when we come into a relationship with him as disciples, as his sheep, he, our, our source of life, our source of being, our source of uh, preserving and sustenance, everything that we need to survive comes directly from him. The shepherd, the good shepherd who knows his sheep by name, who lays down his life for his sheep. He says, everything that you need comes from me and I got you. But not only that, he goes on to say, 
He says, and no one will sweat, sn- uh, snatch them out of my hand. And my father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Now this is interesting because it, it points to the working together of both the father and the son to preserve the people of God. Now it's interesting that Jesus starts off with saying that nobody can snatch you out of my hand. He says, he says I, I'm the good shepherd and you belong to me and nobody can snatch you out of my hand. That means that you can't sin your way out of God's hand. You can't talk your way out of God's hand. You can't die your way out of God's hand. He says, when, when you belong to the good shepherd, you're, you're in it for eternity. He says, he says, you can't, Nobody can snatch you out of my hand, no matter what they try to do to you, no matter what they try to say to you, no matter how discouraged you are, no matter what happens in your life, no matter how many times you've been hurt, no matter how many times you've been sick, there is absolutely nothing that can snatch you out of the hand of God. But, But he didn't stop there. He said, my father gave you to me and he is greater than all and nobody can snatch you out of his hand. So not only can you not be snatched out of the hand of Christ, but he says you can't be snatched out of the hand of my father, and my father gave you to me, and he is greater than all. There is nobody or nothing greater than the father, and the one who is greater than all, whose hand you can't be snatched out of, gave you to me, and nobody also can snatch you out of my hand. That's good news to know that the son and the father are working so jointly together and love you so much that there is nothing in heaven or on earth, seen or unseen that can take you out of his hand. See, there's a beauty in the knowledge that when you belong to him, you belong to him. There there ain't no no backsies. Ain't no return to sender. Like, once you belong to him, you are his. And then, then he says, he says not... Not only is that the case, but he says, I and the Father are one. Now, now when he uses that word one, he's pointing to the Father and the Son being one in purpose and will. They are of the same mind and share the same goal in working towards the same outcome. But, But it's interesting if you look at the very next verse and see how the Jews respond. It says that they began to pick up rocks to stone him which lets us know and infers that Jesus, when he uses that word one, it was a loaded word. So even though it meant that they were one in purpose and will, the Jews knew enough about what Jesus was saying to know that he was making himself equal with God. He, he, he said, yeah, we're, 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 of the, I'm, we're of the same mind. We're, we're co-jointly working together in this process of saving our people and preserving our people. But don't get it twisted. I am God. And, and, and it's interesting because if, if they didn't believe that he was the Messiah in verse 24, they should have gotten it now. And there's something about what he said that that pricked them the wrong way because they got ready to kill him yet again. Which, if I was Jesus, I would have been like, man, if if I didn't say nothing crazy to y'all about being the Messiah, why y'all keep trying to kill me? Now, now Jesus, man, he's he's way more patient than I am. Because, I mean, I, I stopped talking to people when we just been arguing too long and I feel like I'm wasting my time. 
gonna be honest, I got a problem. But man, let, let people try to kill me on multiple occasions. What are we talking about? And, and, but but look, at, look at Jesus. He doesn't, he doesn't run. He, he doesn't just stop his ministry right there. The next words say, Jesus replied. That, that, that should let you know about the patience that God has with us. About the love that God has with us. Now, mind you, he just told them that they weren't his sheep. And Jesus is doing this for people who aren't even his sheep yet. That's, a, that's Romans 5, 9 love. That he died for you while you were still a sinner. Love. That's a, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Love. Like, this, could you imagine this type of God where people are trying to stone him and kill him and don't believe him? And he even says, you don't belong to me. And he's still willing to risk it all so that they might know who he is. He says, Jesus replied, if I show you many good works from the Father, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these works are you stoning me? Is it because I... Healed the man born blind? Are you stoning me because a man who couldn't walk now walks? Are you stoning me because I like to party and I made a little bit of wine? <laughs> For which of these works are you stoning me? Now listen to their response because this, this lets you know exactly where they are. It says, man, we ain't stoning you for no good works. It said, man, we ain't got no problem with them works. We, we cool with the works. No problem at all. He says, but for blasphemy, because you being a man make yourself to be God. So it's, they, they can't run from the fact that they know what Jesus is saying. Because here, they make it clear that they know that Jesus is making himself equal with God. And so they can't come to him and say, Man, just tell us plainly whether or not you're the Messiah because they already know what he said. And so Jesus responds again. And he says, man, see, I, I love God. I love Jesus, man. Like this, like if you read through the Bible and you see how he argues with people, like and, and how he responds, like he got, he got some clapback ministry in his blood. <laughs> like, like, I mean, Jesus was a savage when it came to like, giving people to work lyrically, right? And so, verse 34, it says, Jesus answered them, isn't it written in your law? Don't miss that. He, he said, isn't it written in your law? Who gave them the law? God did. But he says, isn't it, isn't it written in your law? Now, you can tell just by that, he's about, to, he's about to jam them up in this argument based on how they interpret the text. Right? So he says, isn't it written in your law, I said you are gods? Now, if he called those whom the word of God came to gods, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say you are blaspheming to the one the Father set apart and sent into the world because I said I am the Son of God? Now, stay, stay with me here, because I, I read this the first time, and I almost changed passages a little bit, because I was like, I don't know how or what's happening with this, and I don't even want to deal with it, so I'm going to just find something a little easier to preach, 
and, and we just going to make it work somehow. But, 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 but so Jesus here, he, he says, he says, isn't it written in your law? And he refers to Psalms chapter 82, verse six. And David is writing this Psalm. And in this Psalm, David uses the word gods to refer to humanity in some sense, but there's multiple different translations of how this could fit in. Either he's referring to earthly rulers, either he's referring to Israel as a whole, or he's referring to angelic beings, right? Now, I'm gonna be honest with you, I'm still studying this and I haven't figured that out yet, right? However, that wasn't the point of what Jesus was saying, right? Stay with me. Jesus is saying, you're getting ready to stone me because you said that I've blasphemed by calling myself a son of God or using that terminology of God or being equal with God. But how can you stone me for blasphemy when the law refers to humanity as God? And I'm referring to myself in the same way as a son of God. So if the Old Testament, which is your law, refers to humanity as God's, and you say that the, the Old Testament, your law, the Tanakh, is inerrant and is without error and is from God, then how can you blaspheme, say that I blaspheme and condemn me and stone me and kill me for something that your law says? Now, now he, 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 he uses that, he uses a similar argument over in uh, Matthew chapter 22 when he's talking about, uh, he, he's talking about uh, him existing uh, before David having existed for all times. He's, he's in this argument with the Pharisees and, and, and he says to them, he says, man, he says, what do, you, what do you say to this? How can David say that the Christ is, how can the Christ be David's son when David himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my, or make the earth, make your enemies my footstool, right? And he says, he says, how can the Christ, the Messiah, be David's son if David acknowledges that the Messiah and the Christ came before him and is his Lord? And the Bible literally says, that they stopped asking him questions because they didn't know how to answer him. And Jesus is using the same argumentation here where he's saying, man, man, li listen to me. I I'm not even really trying to argue with y'all no more. But let's just say for argument's sake that you were right about stoning me. Then is the Bible or is, is the Tanakh that you, that you serve and that you hold to, is the Tanakh wrong? Is the Tanakh with error? Is it the word of God or not? Because if you're saying that the Tanakh, the word of God, is without error and it's come from God, then you can't stone me legitimately from the word because Psalm 82.6, David refers to humanity as God's. So which is it? And, and they didn't know how to answer him. And so Jesus, he tries to, finish up this argument, he says, verse 37, if I am not doing my father's works, don't believe me. I'm like, if, like, listen, if what I'm doing ain't true, it's not a big deal. Go about your day, enjoy. Like, I'm cool, we chilling. Like, if I'm not doing the father's works, if nobody's being healed, if nobody's being preached the good news of the gospel, if blind people aren't seen and sick people aren't being made well, if I'm not doing the works of the Father, we ain't got nothing to talk about anyway. He says, but even if, even if you don't believe me, 
You got to believe the works. It's like, what are you going to say about that guy who couldn't walk yesterday? That's walking now. Did that not happen? The guy who couldn't see colors out of his eyes has seen blue and purple and red. He's seen clouds in the sun for the first time. Did that really happen? And so he's, he's saying, man, you got to wrestle with the fact, like, either you believe the works and they are true, or I'm a liar. But for some reason in the mind of the Jews, these two things were mutually exclusive. Because for them, in order to confirm and validate what they wanted to believe about Jesus, they had to separate the works from the words. Because if they really believe the works, then his words would make sense. But because they don't want to believe the words, they have to dismiss the works. Jesus is saying, man, listen, let the works that I've done, at, at the very least, let the works testify about me. At the very least, let them let you know that what I'm saying makes some sense. You at least got to consider what I'm saying if my works are true. But the truth of the matter is that the, the Jews failed to see him for who he was because, like Jesus said, they didn't belong to him. Now, the interesting thing about them not belonging to him is that Jesus didn't let their not belonging to him absolve them from a responsibility to respond by faith. Even though Jesus could tell them earlier in this passage, you don't believe because you don't belong to me, there's an expectation in his argumentation that says, you should believe because I am God. Just because you don't belong to me doesn't mean that you're off the hook. Jesus would not spend all of his time trying to convince them to recognize who he is through his words and works if he wasn't going to hold them accountable for what they believed. And so Jesus doesn't absolve them from responsibility of their works, and he wants them to look at his, his ministry and look at his life and make a conscious decision. Am I who I say I am? And you've got to look at the evidence because I'm laying it out. John, who wrote this book at the end of the chapter in verse, in chapter 20 even says, he says, man, I'm convinced that all of the works that I've written in this book should be enough to convince you that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then he, then he says, but this ain't all of them. He said, man, this book can't even contain all that God has done all that Christ has done in his ministry of healing people, of preaching, of teaching. He said, man, this ain't enough room for me to write down, but what I have shared with you should be enough. But last thing, and then I'm out your way. In uh, World War II, there was a small little farming town uh, that got raided. Uh, small town, not a lot of people got raided extremely bad. Their whole town got pillaged and everything that they owned was taken from them. And after all of it was done, there were some soldiers that were stationed and left behind uh, as the larger army moved on and, and they were tasked with managing all of the things that had been taken. Now there was a, a little old lady in the town who owned a bunch of sheep 
and she went to the soldiers and asked them, would you please let me have my sheep? Is there any way that I can get them back? And the soldier, of course, looked at this lady and, and laughed and, and mocked her because behind him was a pen that had hundreds and hundreds of sheep in it. And she only had about 10 to 12. And he told her, lady, there's no way in the world that I'm going in there to search for your sheep. They all look the same. There's no way you can tell them apart. So the lady came back day after day. And finally she said to the soldier, if I can identify my sheep, will you let me take them? And he laughed at her and he said, he said, okay, fine. If you can identify your sheep, I'll let you take them. So the lady calls to her son and her young son comes over and he pulls out a flute and he begins to play the flute. This beautiful melody begins to come from the flute and one by one, a sheep pops its head up and another sheep pops its head up. Six sheep, seven sheep, 10 sheep, 12 sheep. And before you knew it, all of her sheep began to make their way to the front of the pen. And all you saw was this group of sheep following this little boy home as he played the flute. See, if you belong to him, you know the voice of your shepherd. If you belong to him, then you get to experience the beauty of being protected and known by your shepherd. But if you know him, then like a good sheep, you'll follow your good shepherd. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we are so thankful and grateful that you have given us access to you to be able to hear you as our good shepherd, that we can hear your voice from this word, that you teach us, that you instruct us, that you comfort us, that you lead us and guide us where we need to be and where we need to go. Father, we, we long for the day where we will be with you face to face. But until then, God, I pray, we pray that there will never be a day in our lives where we stop hearing your voice. That we're, there will never be a day where we stop following the, the tune of our Father calling us. There will never be a day where we will feel the absence of your presence near us. God, we thank you that you know us intimately. Each and every one of us, you know us because we are your sheep and you are our shepherd. And we are so grateful that you as our God love us the way you do, that you protect us from strangers and from aliens, from those who only seek to rob, steal, and kill and destroy us. But you being the good shepherd protect us and watch over us and comfort us and you heal up our wounds and, and you, you comfort our, our fears and our brokenness, God, and, and you heal our sicknesses, God, and you, 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 you uh, give us places to rest and safety and you nourish us through your word and provide every single thing that we need because you said that you are our life and that we can't be taken from your hand. And so God, we are thankful for that today and we just give you all the glory and all the praise and all the honor because of our good shepherd jesus who is the christ amen